What's up, everybody? Big Sky Breakdown Analysis Pod number two, because Andrew Houghton and I got rolling and we didn't want to stop. So we have a Big Sky Breakdown part two analysis style with Andrew Houghton and also some thoughts from Nick Tabor. Nick Tabor's got your uh, Westpac Wealth Financial Tip of the Week coming up after a little while here. Uh, But first, Andrew Houghton and I talk about summing up Idaho's season as it was, the top coaching options for Northern Colorado and Idaho State, the two openings so far in the Big Sky Conference, how important Tommy Mallott is for the Big Sky conference uh, as well as montana state's success and then we also ask the ultimate question about the grizzlies would winning in fargo over north dakota state be the best or worst thing to happen to this grizz program in this current iteration sounds like a peculiar question it's not it's a good discussion so andrew and i will go through all of that then we'll hear from nick some of his thoughts about the grizz about the cats as well as his financial tip of the week. So stay tuned for that. Big Sky Breakdown can always be found at SkylineSportsMT.com. Please subscribe on your various podcast hosting platforms. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Really helps us out. And uh, keep on listening. Thanks for being here. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Here's Andrew Houghton and myself, a late night Wednesday night conversation around the Big Sky. Yo, 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 Big Sky Breakdown rolls on. Late night edition here uh, on a Wednesday. It's crazy what the, the streaming has done for the uh, the accessibility to games. I was a little skeptical when the Big Sky Conference added this ESPN Plus deal just because I'm always skeptical about everything. I want to see how it works out. Truly, being able to like watch a game that y- you know you need to cover, I mean, you can just flip over to the next Big Sky game and the next Big Sky game and the next Big Sky game. It's pretty crazy. So, in succession, just in the last, like, 20 minutes, we watched the end of uh, Montana State's women beating South Dakota State. Huge win for the Bobcat women, putting away a SDSU team that received votes in the top 25 poll this last week. And that's several big wins for the Bobcat women already. They won at BYU earlier this year. They won at San Jose State in overtime. They got Arizona State to their barn. They didn't win that one. But, I mean – you're talking you're talking about an ascension from a program standpoint if you're able to get Arizona State and South Dakota State to come to your place, regardless if you win or not. And the fact they split those games, great. And so the defending Big Sky Tournament champions, they certainly have uh, a good resume going already. Uh, they're 5-3 and three, uh, early on here. They're the only team from Montana with a winning record amongst the Division One ranks. And as soon as that game got over, boom, we flipped it over to Montana State versus Southern Utah. Uh, men's hoops which is a former conference rivalry those teams last couple years I mean Danny Sprinkle and Todd Simon at this point I think are friendly nemesis because they've had some all-time classics the Big Sky Tournament Southern Utah Montana State have been must-watch games the last couple years Montana State knocked out the top-seeded Thunderbirds a couple years ago uh, on the way to the championship game and uh, they've had some run-ins for sure and it was another great game tonight and uh, Raekwon Battle stole the show he hit seven threes uh, but his steal into a three-point play with less than 10 seconds to go, seals a three-point win for Montana State's men, and that's one they had to have after uh, dropping all three of their games over the Thanksgiving weekend. And then we changed it over to Portland State versus Portland Bible College, and uh, my goodness, I mean, poor Portland Bible College. They've given up triple digits to everybody from Montana Tech to uh, Providence University up in Great Falls to then Portland State. They almost lost by 100 tonight. What was the final docket? 113 to 25, is that right? 100, 
113 to 31. <laughs> okay, so they pulled within uh, almost 80. Uh, Portland State, Portland Bible College. That's not great to watch, but still incredible that that's accessible. Anyways, here we are on a Wednesday night. We watched a bunch of Big Sky Conference hoops, and uh, the streaming and everything that you have at your accessibility uh, is very cool. And uh, it, it just makes the uh, the coverage of it all and be able to even have just some sort of talking points about all of it. Uh, very fun. But Andrew Houghton uh, joins me here on the Big Sky Breakdown, Colter Nuanez, and uh, just wrapping up your analysis pod for the week, the first week of December. And uh, this is uh, around the Big Sky, FCS playoff style, but also some questions about the league in general that don't have to do with the FCS playoffs as well. Uh, so let's start with a couple of the, the uh, questions I had prepared for us, Andrew, that uh, don't have to do with the FCS playoff teams. Um, four Big Sky Conference teams remain left in the FCS playoffs. Montana State and Weber State will play in Bozeman on Saturday. Montana and uh, North Dakota State will play in Fargo on Saturday, and then Sacramento State will host Richmond on uh, Saturday afternoon. Uh, but before we get to any of those teams, let's talk about um, first the one Big Sky Conference team that made the playoffs that then was eliminated. Uh, I know that we're doing some coverage this week uh, on the Idaho Vandals. Giovanni McCoy, a finalist for the Jerry Rice Award, I think that he certainly should be a front runner, if not the the absolute favorite for that award. And uh, he'll be on the Big Sky Breakdown pod, which you might already listen to by the time you're listening to this. And uh, Jason Eck, Idaho head coach, is on there as well. Um, but Idaho, such an interesting perspective because you're coming off of rejoining the Big Sky in 2018. You're coming off of struggling since you rejoined the Big Sky in 2018. You're coming off of having a, a pretty miserable coach in Paul Petrino who didn't really do anything to hype up the program or ease the transition back down to the FCS from the FBS. But then you bring in uh, Uncle Sal's cousin or my cousin Vinny or whoever you want to pin Jason Eck as, and he just breathes fresh air into the program. And there was a moment in time where we thought Idaho was fast-tracking toward a seed. Uh, but then when the dust settles, they've lost two out of their last three to end the season, and they're at seven and five. And so it's it's just interesting the way that narratives surround a program because they finished seven and five. The, the, the narrative of the season was that it was magical until the end, and they were knocking on the door of a playoff win, and there's no way to say it was anything but a successful year at Idaho. There's no question about it. It's just also funny the way that uh, previous successes and stuff uh, mark a season. Like if Montana would have lost their first-round game, they would have also finished 7-5. and five. And in Idaho, you're ultimately optimistic. And at Montana, if you finish 7-5, and five, exact same record, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. Interesting. All that said, though, I thought there was just so much to this Idaho season. How would you sum it up? Well, Coulter, it was a great season for Idaho, but of course, it's just one piece of the larger narrative, right? The only thing that makes it good is that this has to be a stepping stone now for the Vandals, right? If this is a blip of a season for them, if they're just riding the momentum and riding the energy in Jason X first year, and now they go back to struggling again, that becomes one part of the narrative, right? And and you look at this year differently. I personally don't think that's going to happen, but now they have to go out and, and prove it again, right? And it's not a bad way to go out, Coulter. They played, I think, a, a classic. I think maybe the best of the first-round games. I mean, the Montana game was awesome as well. There were a couple other shootouts, but that's a great game. 
They had to go on the road. Don't Again, don't know why they didn't have that game in the Kibbe Dome. Whatever happened with the bidding process. Had to go on the road. Playing a consistent playoff team in southeastern Louisiana. So a team that's been there before. Team that's been on that stage before. And you're just going back and forth. You see so many good things from the guys who you're going to have there for years. I mean, Giovanni McCoy had a great game. Hayden Hatton had a great game. And you take it right down to the end and you get some bad luck at the end with the the original tying field goal was iced when he made it and then he slips and puts it just skimming past that left-hand post. So you lose 45-42. You don't want to lose, but for a team like that, what a great way to lose, right? Because you're taking so much forward out of that game now going into next year. So when... Paul Petrino was let go, and Jason Eck was yet to be hired. I made a statement on our uh, ESPN radio show, Nuanas Now, that I thought that Idaho was one of the best Division One jobs in the country because they have pre-existing tradition at this level, but they needed to get that tradition reignited because it had been 25-plus years since they had been relevant at – the FCS level, uh, but they also have uh, you know a good fan base. It's a good college town. It's a good school. It's a good campus. Uh, play indoors. Uh, Kibbe Dome's a good venue. Uh, all these things, and I also thought that the roster itself had some talent, and so I thought that Idaho had a lot of, of rope to work with. Um, I, I think I, what I proclaimed was even before Jason Net got hired and Jason after he got hired was that. Um, he had a two- to three-year window where we're always going to be good. I wonder now, though, with a 6-2 and two record in league, uh, you're, you, know, you come to Missoula and get a win, and uh, you make the playoffs, and now you have this returning core led by the freshman of the year in Giovanni McCoy and this stud receiving core, including Hayden Hatton, who's absolutely going to be an All-American, and Jermaine Jackson, who was a – First-team All-League guy and probably is going to be an All-American as well. Plus Anthony Woods, who's a second-team All-League guy, as a true freshman. Yeah, this off, awesome offensive uh, quartet. I wonder how much that narrative changes. Like, Idaho lived – they had a Cinderella season this year, and they also had a very extended honeymoon. Not a very extended. I thought they, they're still in the honeymoon period. Is the honeymoon period shorter for Idaho because – they had so much success in year one. No, I think they're in the perfect place, Coulter. I mean, there's so much room to build off what they did this year, right? But again, you know, the expectations would have been so much higher if they pulled off that win against Southeastern Louisiana. I think they actually settled exactly where I would have evaluated them at the end of this year. After they beat Montana, and this was when we were all sort of high on the Grizzlies as a national title contender as well because that was their first loss of the season. After they beat Montana and continued to roll for the next couple weeks, I think there was a narrative that Idaho was potentially a a, a seedable team, right? Because their only two losses had been to Power 5 schools. They'd kept both of those games close. I think looking back on it now, obviously that's not true, and that goes hand-in-hand with sort of the helium-high early-season expectations of the Montana Grizzlies as well. But that's right where they are. I mean, being a solid playoff team in year one sets you up perfectly. It doesn't set the expectations too high, though, because you have uh, 
multiple more steps you can take right now. I mean, they don't have to be a national title contender next year. You have the concrete goal of, okay, well, now we're going to get back to the playoffs. Now our next step is winning a playoff game, right? For sure. Okay, last thing on Idaho. Um, this is a dynamic I've talked about a lot on this podcast and on Nuanas now. I think that the notion that the Big Sky Conference is as good as it's ever been has more nuance to it than that. I don't think this is the best the Big Sky has ever been for several reasons. First of all, I don't think that there's a definitive best team, and I don't think that there is teams that are of the caliber of 2016 Eastern Washington with Cooper Cup and Kendrick Bourne and Gage Gubrud and Shaq Hill and all the Samson Ebicom, you know, variety of pro players. Or teams like, you know, Montana in the late 2000s when they just ran the table. Um, I also think that the bottom of the league is really bad, and that caters to then giving the, the top teams easy wins when they don't play they, each other. But I also think it sets up then when the top teams do play each other, those are the only games that they have the possibility of winning or losing, so then they, they play tight. And so that that's just a very interesting dynamic. That said, when you look at Idaho broadly from a program narrative standpoint – Making the playoffs year one under under a first-year head coach is a phenomenal year, especially with a freshman quarterback, all of it. All the credit to Idaho. On the other hand, I'm just conflicted about Idaho because in terms of the teams from the big sky I have seen live and in person this year, and, and, and caveat, I haven't seen Sac State in person. I've watched them on the stream extensively. I watched the full game against Montana. I watched the full game against Idaho. I watched the full game against Weber State, and I watched the full game against UC Davis. So I've seen Sac State from start to finish on TV. But as you know, it's different seeing them in person. But in terms of big sky teams I saw live and in person, I would put I would put Idaho as my number two team in my power rankings behind Montana State. Therefore, then I think that a first-round one-and-done playoff loss, just from what I saw on the field, is actually kind of disappointing. So how do you reconcile this? It doesn't really matter. Does the fan base think that's disappointing? Totally. Well, that's true. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know, actually. Does, does the national media think that's disappointing? I mean, they just have so much going for them narratively for because sure. of how downtrodden it has all been for the previous couple years, right? Yeah. Well, which comes full circle to why I thought it was the greatest job in, in at the FCS because y- you can't do anything but go up. Like, Every time Montana or Montana State is open, it doesn't matter how bad you've been for how long you've been bad. It's still not like Idaho because the expectation is to be nothing but good. I mean, from a, from an expectation standpoint, Montana is the worst job in college football <laughs> because because you can't do anything besides go undefeated to appease what the expectation is, and that's obviously not realistic. And the Grizz have been going through that for ten plus years. But you're right; it's uh, it's very interesting to to see, but. Uh, I guess I'm very I'm smitten with Idaho. I love the way they play. I think Jason Eck is the man. I think that he is such a good fit there. And I think they're going to be damn good, but I also think that they're going to encounter the 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 biggest the next biggest obstacle Idaho's going to encounter is one that comes sooner than I thought it was going to, and that's the obstacle of expectation. Yeah, and I guess to answer your question non-facetiously, Coulter, 
the the last couple weeks of the season for Idaho sort of exposed some cracks that I think they'll need to find answers for, right? The defense didn't play as well these last couple weeks as they did when they were rolling. Uh, you know, I think they gave up 42 to UC Davis and then 45 in the playoff game. So that's an issue. How do you maintain that? I, I think the biggest thing I saw in the in the SELA game is, well, how do you move the ball on offense if you're not throwing it to Hayden Hatton, who I think had 200 yards in that game, or Jermaine Jackson, who had the big 75-yard touchdown catch. It looked like their offense wasn't quite as diverse. Uh so those are real questions to answer, and that's why they're going to be an interesting team going into next season. Big Shot Breakdown. It's got on SportsMT.com. All right, we already took uh, half of what I thought this this uh, segment was going to be just on Idaho. So now we'll go with a few uh, quick hitters before we get into some of the big questions about the uh, playoff teams. Um, we talked about this a little bit on Nuanas now, just in terms of the fallout at both Idaho State and Northern Colorado uh, if you want to rehash those conversations about our analysis about the failures of the Ed McCaffrey era at Northern Colorado or the Charlie Ragel one-year experiment at Idaho State, you can check that out on uh, the podcast. Was that, that was Monday, right? I think it was Monday during the Montana football hour. <laughs> Andrew doesn't remember either. It all blurs together when you just record 15 hours of content every single week. But I believe it was Monday on Nuanas Now, so you can go subscribe to that podcast, get that in your life. Uh, fun uh, analysis there. But then now we turn the page. Uh, the dust is already settling in Pocatello. Charlie, Charlie Rago went on the, the record with the Idaho State Journal with our guy Greg Woods. And, uh, you know, I thought he was honest. Uh, he, he didn't really sugarcoat it. He said, hey, you know, uh, I thought I was going to be at Idaho State for the long haul. And then I got what amounts to my dream job uh, in basically my hometown from a, a guy that I, used to play for me. That, and I couldn't turn it down. And, and uh, you know, I wanted to be close to my family. And, uh, hey, whatever, man. From a personal perspective, I totally get it. We all make decisions based on home and family and all that stuff. Then Northern Colorado, uh, who knows what Ed McCaffrey's going to do? I, I guess I don't. I mean, I don't want to be uh, unsensitive, but who cares? I mean, again. I mean, Ed McCaffrey is fine. You know, I mean, Ed McCaffrey made millions of dollars in the NFL, and uh, I mean, he's a stud among studs who has, uh, you know, one of the one of the best players in the NFL is his son, so he's good. Uh, regardless, um, let's start with Northern Colorado because I think there's one choice that's low-hanging fruit. Who should Northern Colorado hire, and why is that guy Bob Stitt? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, look, it fits kind of where I'm going with both of these teams, right? I think for both of these teams, you need to do something that's a little bit off the wall like Northern Colorado tried to do with Ed McCaffrey. You know, I, I'm i not going to say I liked that hire when it happened, when that news broke a couple years ago, but it makes a weird kind of twisted sense, right? I mean, I think if you're hiring a guy who's got Big Sky connections, a guy who, you know, has been a coordinator at, at a good level for some years, I just think that the entrenched disadvantages of those programs are so large that you're not going to overcome them for very long hiring the safe choice, right? You've got to sort you you've got to go for the big upside pick here. It's true and the thing is 
one of the things that's been the completely missed point about Ed McCaffrey no longer Northern Colorado's head coach is there's never been any confirmation that he was fired. In fact, I believe it was a mutual parting of ways, which then is indicative to what I thought it always was, which was just a two-year flash in the pan. He came there to make sure that his son was the starting quarterback and to give him an opportunity and to recruit all the dudes he, he had at Valor Christian to there. But, you know, that, that's the whole – I guess that's what you learn about the big sky in general from that experiment is that Ed McCaffrey got a sh- shit ton of talent from around the FBS and, and guys with Valor Christian ties where he was at the, the, the premier high school in Denver that he was the head coach at before he went to Northern Colorado. He got a bunch of those guys to go to UNC. You know, he, he, he did up the talent level there. They still only won six games in two years. That's also what they pretty much standardly win. You know, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, uh, you don't know what you got until it's gone. I mean, Ernest Collins was an alum at Northern Colorado and was a very passionate guy and a guy I loved spending time with. I played golf with Ernest Collins a couple times, loved hanging out with Coach Collins. And, you know, sure, he went 28-72 and 72 at UNC. He also had two winning records while he was there. They haven't had any other winning records during their Division One era, so sometimes you got to be realistic about what your expectation is there. Uh, but I, I do think that Bob Stitt could recruit. I think he's, he's proven at being able to recruit uh, Colorado talent to small schools. And by the way, this is complete speculation. I have not talked to Coach Stitt since he was released at Montana. I have no clue if he wants to get back into coaching or not. But he was a GA at Northern Colorado once upon a time. He was on Joe Glenn's staff there during Northern Colorado's heyday, uh, during their D2 glory days. And uh, I know a lot of Grizz fans that are maybe listening to this are saying, well, what are you talking about? His offense at Montana sucked. Well, it didn't suck. It, it was just predictable. But it would be a breath of fresh air at UNC. I don't know. I here's what I think. I think UNC needs to hire a coach that's committed to the place, that understands the place, that wants to bring stability to the place. And then they need to figure out that the only way they're going to take the next step as a Division One program is to invest in it at a Division One level. The biggest thing that's holding Northern Colorado back has nothing to do with the coach. It has everything to do with all the other things that go into having a Division One program. Well, and the other thing about Stitt and the thing that I think is such a huge thing for both of these programs you just need to hire somebody with an identity, right? You need to hire somebody who knows what they're doing, who knows the kind of talent that they are going to be able to recruit to fit into their program. And that also is just, I mean, even for the PR part of it, Coulter, is just going to be able to project and say in the media, uh, you know, to the to the boosters, to the fans, here's what we are and here's what we're doing. That's the funniest part is that I know that Bob Stitt like, got just completely run out of town in Missoula because he didn't really comprehend what the monster that the Grizz was. But Bob Stitt, if you removed the Grizz, everything about the Grizz from the Bob Stitt thing, Bob Stitt runs, runs a good program. He recruits pretty well. He's pretty good with the media. He's just not excellent at any of those things for Montana. But I think he would be good at Northern Colorado all the way. Anyways, I'm just speculating based on Twitter fodder. But but you're right. The, the, tongue-in-cheek Bob Stitt being the guy at Northern Colorado. What Andrew said is absolutely correct. You need to find somebody that has stability and an identity. And I, I, I agree, and I think you got to lay a foundation there, and then you got to invest at a D1 level. You were at the Idaho State Journal for a couple years. What's the thing that's going to turn Idaho State around? All, all I keep thinking is, 
you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? Like Rob Fennessy, Rob Fennessy was like pretty dang good at Idaho State, considering things got bad at the end those last couple seasons for Rob Fennessy. But like a couple bad seasons is not anything strange to Idaho State, right? I've been on the record as saying that I was a little bit surprised when Rob Fennessy was let go with a year left on his contract there that he wasn't given that last year, at least to show signs of turning it around. And it comes back to the expectations again, Coulter, right? Like what are the realistic expectations for this program? I mean, maybe you you just have to think of it in terms of the bell curve, right? I mean, maybe if you have the 95th percentile head coach at a place like Idaho State, maybe that's the guy who can turn you into a consistently winning program. Cause I think it Idaho State or Northern Colorado, that's absolutely what it's going to take. It's going to take somebody who's that special. But if that's what your expectation are, that's what your expectations are, then if you've got the 75th or the 80th percentile coach, he's not going to measure up and you're going to be bouncing up and down like Fennessy was or, or even like Ernest Collins was, as you mentioned, at Northern Colorado. And you're, it's just not going to measure up and you're going to make uh, not rash decisions, but you're, you're going to lose sight of what you have. I mean, I don't want to dwell on this one too long either, but I haven't seen players like Mitch and Tanner Guller or Mikey Dean or uh, Xavier Finney or James Madison or Ty Flanagan or Tanner Connor or, you know, I mean, again, you have to set the baseline of what the expectation is realistically. If you are Northern Colorado and Idaho State, what your baseline resources provide you is that you're going to finish at or toward the bottom of the league. So anytime that you finish a little bit or far above that, you have to have perspective that that is a, a great accomplishment. I think of, about this all the time with Idaho State basketball. I mean, Bill Evans got seventh in the league two years in a row. People could say, well, seventh in the big sky, what's that to brag about? It's Idaho State. You're supposed to get last. You're you're playing four or five or six seeds above your head. If 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 there's certain teams in the league that can't even be five places better than what their expectations should be. I mean, again, like I don't want to dwell on it too long, but like I ain't seen anybody like Brandon Boyd or Novak Topolovich or the guys that Bill Evans had at Idaho State since they left. So uh, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting, but uh, where are we at though with Idaho State? Like, what 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 sort of guy could they hire next? I mean, they tried the historian and and stalwart of the Big Sky Conference and the big human and Mike Kramer. They tried, you know, the the off the assembly line from from Grizz Glory days, Rob Fennessy, and then they tried, uh, you know, the the evil Frankenstein version of Jeff Choate or something in Charlie Raggle and like. Uh, you know, all were entertaining, none resulted in wins. I don't really know where you go. Yeah, again, Coulter, you you got to shoot for something different, right? There was a great uh, column, actually, in the Idaho State Journal, a guest column by Brad Bugger, who's a guy who's done some some radio calls for Idaho State there, and his main point was that, well, first of all, you need an identity, and second, what should Idaho State's identity be? Well, you should just you're playing in a dome, you should just try to throw it around for 500 yards a game, right? You should try to be the poor man's Eastern Washington because it's going to be so difficult to recruit the kind of talent there to build a consistently 
good defense, right? A defense that is forcing the other team into three and outs, right? We're stuck on Idaho right now, uh, the, the state of Idaho, that is. But why can't Idaho State have a good defense? Pocatello is the butte of Idaho, and Idaho, the state of Idaho, has great high school football, and so does Utah, which is another primary recruiting territory, and so does Montana. That's the other thing. Why does Idaho State come into Montana? Like, if I'm Idaho State, I'm recruiting out of Missoula all day. I don't understand why they don't. Okay, all great points. Actually, there is good high school football down there, like really good, especially when you start getting over into Boise. Like, Boise is just going to keep growing and growing in those high schools. I mean, Rocky Mountain, Meridian, Bishop Kelly, et cetera. A lot of talent there. But I guess now, I guess my counterpoint to that would be not only are you competing with Boise State for the top, top level guys, what if you're just competing with the resurgent Idaho program now? We were state also gets into that area for those kids I'm not I'm going to either of those places over Idaho State right so I think it's still difficult but you can recruit a quarterback and three good receivers to come play in that dome right and it's you know it's falling into historical bias because that's when when Idaho State has been good or has been at least average to above average is when they've had great quarterbacks great wide receivers right just go in Try to be the poor man's Eastern Washington. Say, we're going to try to throw for 400 yards on you every game. We're going to try to score 45 points. If our defense can get a couple takeaways, you know, that maybe that's enough, right? Blackfoot Communications continues to lift up our local entrepreneurs, delivering the resources needed to transform ideas into businesses. Our C2M beta program was founded with the mission to connect local entrepreneurs to more. With access to more professional expertise, more state-of-the-art technology, and more development resources, our 12-week program delivers the foundational and modern skills required to transform influential ideas into thriving businesses. Apply today at goblackfoot.com apply. Join Town Pump's Pump It Up Rewards Plus program and never pay full price for fuel again. Save five cents on every gallon every day at any Town Pump across Montana. Plus, earn and redeem points on your favorite in-store items to get free stuff with our clubs. Stop in and pick up a rewards card. Download the Pump It Up Rewards Plus app today. Or visit townpump.com slash rewards to register and start saving. Big Shot Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Thanks to our great sponsors, including Blackfoot Communications. Met with Blackfoot today. We got a bunch of fun stuff coming down the pipe for you. Uh, a lot of interactions, hopefully. Uh, maybe some some stuff, some inner person or some uh, stuff where, where we can engage with all of you. So uh, very much look forward uh, to that. Andrew has one more thing on Idaho State uh, before we move on. Well, I guess I just did, I did a little research on this, right? So here's a guy, right? I mean, if you're accepting my points that that's what Idaho State should do, what's a guy that they can realistically get? Just looking, just looking around. I mean, R.J. Martinez and Xavier Guillory would be great together, right? You know, are they going to get an an FBS coordinator? Like maybe just looking at the best offenses in the FCS this year. What about Fordham's offensive coordinator? Is that a guy they can realistically get? I don't know, but this is an interesting name to me. Kevin Decker, former Walter Payton Award finalist at New Hampshire, and he's got the Big Sky connection. Uh, I uh, I wrote a feature about Kevin Decker 10 years ago. 
He was the quarterback at New Hampshire. They uh, they were highly touted. They came into Montana State. They lost on a blocked extra point, one of the craziest games I've ever covered. And uh, Kevin Decker remembered his experience in Bozeman so well that then he applied to be a grad assistant on Rob Ash's staff. So uh, got to know Kevin Decker. No, I shouldn't say got to know him. Talked to him a couple times when he was there uh, in Bozeman. Uh, smooth dude. I mean, definitely uh, maybe could uh, recruit a little bit. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I think we could actually do a whole – we already have done a whole podcast on this, but I, I think we could do a whole podcast on how do you fix Idaho State because I do think that, like what you're saying, the indoor facility, the promise of big numbers, all that, uh, the, the throw it around the yard, that's been sort of like the, the repeated formula for the last 15 years. I just think that Pocatello is a working-class town, and there's a bunch of tough MFers in Idaho – I just think you should build it on just trying to get the baddest MFers around, man. You're going the opposite way. You're trying you you want to just grind it out and and take that talent there and try to make a defense out of it. I mean, if you got the best linebacker out of Highlands High School every couple of years, like you'd probably have a pretty good guy. They had they got Jaden Bell out of Highland when I was there. He was their all state safety. I mean, they got Kamaya Olson, who was their top pass rusher that year. I mean, none of these guys are. It's tough, right? I, and and especially the top talent in Idaho, especially now, starting to look outside the state, right? Or starting to look to the Power Fives. I mean, there were two high-level Power Five receivers in Idaho this year, in Kenyon Sadiq, who's going to Oregon, and Gatlin Bear, who's going... I actually don't know, but he's got a bunch of SEC offers. That brings the attention into the state, right? And suddenly it becomes so much more difficult even to get the second-tier guys who you should be getting. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. We were going to talk about the most coveted transfers that are into the portal out of the Big Sky, but we already know it's R.J. Martinez from NAU and uh, Xavier Gilleroy, or Gillery, excuse me, from uh, Idaho State. One point about those guys, the question was, who's the most coveted out of those guys? Really interesting dichotomy because to borrow a basketball term, I think, R.J. Martinez is your floor raiser, right? He can take a bad team and make it good. uh, Xavier Guillory is your ceiling raiser, man, because he can fit in on any team, on any offense, and make you better regardless of what role that he needs to play. The thing is, I always am so skeptical about these guys making the choices that are right for them. Like, if R.J. Martinez just ends up at, like, UT San Antonio, it's just irrelevant forever. Like, he'll be relevant to that you know, seven and five bowl team or whatever, but like he's from Austin, Texas. If he just ends up at some non uh, power conference, Texas school, like God, come on. But I mean, I guess you're totally anonymous if you're playing in Flagstaff, Arizona, and NU anyways. And Guillory, I mean, you know, I just always hope that the guys like him go somewhere where they can, they can still be a dominant talent because, you know, if you just go to like, Utah? Are you actually going to even play? I don't really know. Guillory did pick up a Nebraska offer tonight, so maybe on the Samori Torre, uh, you know, grad program, whatever. We'll see. Uh, okay, let's talk some SCS playoffs about these Big Sky teams. Uh, I got three questions about uh, these Big Sky teams. We already talked about Idaho. Um, so, number one, working in reverse order as we usually uh, than we usually do, we'll start with the non-Montana schools. Uh, Sac State, the number two seed, the uh, one of only two undefeated teams in the league. Ozzy Cat is on the podcast now, too. 
Uh, he's he's bored as shit. He wants us to play with him. <laughs> uh, the Hornets went 11-0, ran the table in the big sky. No way that anybody could ever say that it was a, a soft schedule this year because they beat, in order, Montana, Idaho, and Weber State. So they played three of the best. They didn't play Montana State, so there's one knock, but whatever. They also drilled Colorado State. I mean, 11-0 is no joke. It's the greatest season in their school's history. Point blank. Does Sac State get off the schneid? And how important is it that they do? Because 23-1 in the Big Sky Conference is no joke. But when everybody in the league and everybody that talks about the league has ammunition of, well, who cares? You never win the playoffs. It is a knock on your program. Well, they're going to get off the schneid, Coulter. I don't see a way that they... I'd be very surprised if they lost this opening playoff game against Richmond. And in one way, that is getting off the schneid. But I think the narr- to, to beat the narrative, what do you think? They've got to be a semifinals team this year? I mean, that would be two wins in the playoffs. I mean, if you if you beat Richmond, you lose in the quarters. I mean, I, I still think everybody's got that ammunition, right? You don't. You're not doing anything in the playoffs. I mean, they've put themselves sort of between a rock and a hard place here because they did have the two straight losses in the playoffs when they were favored. Now you got to go above and beyond that, right? you got to do more than winning one game. Now I'm confident that they will, but I guess we'll just have to see, and we'll have to see how the bracket plays out, of course, as well. Yeah, I, I, I have a little more grace for Sac State because – you never made the playoffs until three years ago. You never won the conference title until three years ago. And as soon as you win a playoff game, it will be your first playoff win. And if they win that playoff game on Saturday, that means that they are into the final eight of the playoffs. That in itself, I think, is a landmark moment and an accomplishment for your program. So I think that they earn themselves a little rope with one win. Two wins, everybody's off your back. I totally agree. But I do think that one win uh, gets you a little ways. I I have no idea what to think about Richmond. I I know that Richmond has been perennially pretty good, pretty competitive. They won the 2008 National Championship. I remember covering them in 2016 in the playoffs uh, at Eastern Washington. Um, That was probably the best individual defensive performance I've ever seen by Samson Ebucom, and that's what's so funny is that uh, everybody pins Eastern as this uh, offensive powerhouse and truly the best individual performance by a big sky player I've ever seen was Samson Ebucom for Eastern Washington against Richmond. Ironic that it was from an Eastern guy and most people think that uh, Eastern doesn't play any defense, but uh, I don't know what we think of the spiders, but you know, the thing, I think that the one thing that's different about this, I think the two things that are different about this year's Sac state team than the last couple is one, they run the ball with absolute authority they're rushing for 280 yards a game. They have a great offensive line. That helps you in the playoffs. And two, they're playing at home. And I don't think it – I think that the, the Sacramento has the bug a little bit now. I think that there, there's people showing up for the games. They averaged 16,000 fans a game th- this year. They had mul- the, the Montana game, the Idaho game, and then, of course, the Causeway Classic all had a bunch of people there. Usually, it's Sac State playing in the Causeway Classic, beating UC Davis, and then – it's a complete deflation because they won the only game that used to, they won the game that used to be the only game that mattered for them. And then they would fall off and there wouldn't be people there. I think that there's going to be people there on Saturday. And I think that there's people, I think when you're playing for something bigger than yourself, that's one of the main motivating factors at small school, uh, FCS football. And uh, I think that Sac state finally 
has that. So I think that they will be able to maybe alter the narrative and, uh, and get a playoff win, but uh, we'll see. Big Step Breakdown presented in part by Opportunity Bank. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Uh, okay, second to last question, Andrew. Andrew Houghton joining us here on uh, Big Step Breakdown. <laughs> I wrote it in the notes. Uh, is Tommy Mallott God if he goes off against Weber State? I don't necessarily know if that's the hyperbolous train I want to go down, but Tommy Mallott seems to get better as the games get bigger. He was lights out against the Grizzlies. He was lights out when Weber State came to town last time they played in Bozeman. And still, though, Tommy Mallott, for as good as he's been this year for the Bobcats, second-team All-League, uh, definitely a, a consummate field general, he has come nowhere close to attaining what was uh, almost a superhuman level that he attained during the FCS playoffs last year during the last two and a half games of the run. He was not very good the first three quarters against Tennessee Martin. Then he stuck his foot in the ground and ripped off a 78-yard touchdown run in the rest of history. Uh, he was he was unstoppable after that, all the way until he got hurt against North Dakota State in the national championship game. Uh, where are you at, though, with Tommy Malott's importance against Weber State? And also just how impressed are you with his ability to raise his level as uh, the games continue to get bigger? Hugely impressed, Coulter. This weekend against Weber State, I mean, it would be doubly impressive, right? He was the only thing that they had going on in that first Weber State game. I mean, he's the reason they won that game, aside from the bad punt snaps, all the other craziness in that game. The reason they won that game is because Tommy Mallott just couldn't be stopped. So... You know Weber State's going to try to have adjustments, try to have counters to that plus-one quarterback run game that Montana State runs so effectively. If he can do the same thing against this defense, I think that would be one of the most individually impressive performances that I have seen. The thing about Tommy Mallott, just the way that he's able to keep it going, he's not getting stronger as the games are getting more important. To me, he just gets stronger as they lean into that game plan more, right? I mean, the more responsibility that you're giving him, the more that you're leaning on that plus-one quarterback run game. He He's not better when the games get bigger. He's just better when you give him 35 carries, you know? And that's the impressive part. <laughs> There's always more to the story than what the cliche uh, fan narratives are. I just think it's so funny. I hear this from Grizz people a lot. And we love hearing from Grizz fans, Cat fans, Big Sky Conference fans. I love that people always give us their two cents. They want to argue. They're listening. All that stuff. Um, I've heard from multiple Grizz fans. Tommy Mulata is just a glorified running back that the Bobcats snapped the ball to. And I say to them always, okay, what's the issue? If you have the best running back in the league – who also happens to be able to throw the ball at an above-average level. And if you're talking about a running back being able to throw the ball, he throws the ball at an absolutely elite level if you just think he's a running back. But he throws the ball fine for a quarterback, then uh, I, I don't know what the problem is. But you're right, he does get better the more that they uh, they lean on him, his durability. You know, I mean, you know, he got hurt against North Coast State because he got a high ankle sprain with a couple of the best defensive players in the country basically snapping his leg in half and uh he got hurt at eastern washington for hitting his head on the turf but i don't think you can say 
that the young man is injury-prone at all. So uh, I do think he is going to be the key for Montana State in this Weber State game and moving forward. Can he reattain the level? But all signs point toward um, that being likely. Uh, The one thing I wonder about is it was so very clear down the stretch last year that the veterans on the Bobcats – we're basically just straight up over the Matt McKay experiment. And the insertion of Tommy Lott was such a spark just from him as a person and a leader and, you know, a hard worker and all that sort of stuff. Do they still have that same spark? We'll see. But either way, if he can continue to do what he does, I think that will be a key uh, for Montana State. Big Sky Breakdown, SkyOnSportsMT.com, presented in part by JNV Restaurant Supply. JNV Restaurant, your home for everything kitchen. No matter what you need for your tailgate or that big holiday party, you can visit JNV Restaurants, three locations in Bozeman, Great Falls, and Billings, or visit JVRestaurant.com. Okay, last question for you. The, uh, the question of the week, the question of the year. Would winning in Fargo be the best or worst thing to ever happen to the Montana Grizzlies? Well, in one sense of the question, the best, because if, I mean, just simply, if you beat the North Dakota State Bison, you're a national title contender, and that's the only thing that matters, right? So if they do come out of Fargo with the win, then Montana absolutely has a chance to win the trophy this year, and in one sense, that's the only important thing. In another uh, sort of like, you know, more meta sense, man... I would still have a hard time believing in the Grizz as a national title contender, even if they beat the Bison. And then if that's true, then that's really bad because it doesn't matter whether you lose in the quarters or the semis this year. I still think they'd be sort of a long way away from where they want to be. And then that just tweaks the expectations, sets them so sky high. I mean, what happens if you... If you beat the Bison, and then, I mean, I don't think... How well do they measure up against Sac State? How well we know how well they match up against Montana State, um, if those are the potential matchups. So I just don't think there's... There's not all that much championship equity in this team, even if they do win this week. And then... Yeah, I mean, uh, that formula succeeding leads to a lot of interesting questions and perhaps like bad outcomes for the Grizz because it's like well if you beat the Bison this year do you see the season as a success and then do you try to keep uh, the conveyor belt of transfer quarterbacks running instead of uh, trying to develop a guy do you do you keep doing the things that you've been doing this year that's exactly right I think that no matter what happens Montana needs to be able to separate the result and the finish of this season with the evaluation of what are objectively and very clear um, places where they need to look at their program, there's a lot of different things that can be holding you back. Effort, culture, execution, preparation, uh, being professional, resources, those are all things that can hold you back. Montana has no problem in any of those areas. 
talent is also a huge thing that can hold you back. Montana doesn't have any problem with talent either. But they do have some very obvious places where they could grow talent-wise, and they could grow in the diversity of the the way that they operate as a football team. I think that all just takes uh, looking in the mirror, and I think so. Here's the thing. The only way Montana's going to beat North Coast State and Fargo is if they do look in the mirror and they do decide to reconcile themselves with winning in a different way than what has been the way that they've wanted to win. I mean, maybe North Coast State just completely messes up and, and decides to kick the Malik Flowers and Junior Bergen, and so that maybe it is a trademark way that the Grizz can ride some momentum. But other than that, in terms of like offense versus defense, the only way the Grizz win this game is if they spread it out and air it out. That's it. So if they do that, then that is a systematic analysis of them analyzing their weaknesses and, and changing some things up, which would be a good thing for the Grizz. But uh, regardless of what happens throughout the rest of this season, they got to figure out a way to have a better formula to develop a quarterback. They got to figure out a better way to have a better formula to develop offensive linemen. And they got to figure out a way to modernize their offensive scheme and diversify their personnel groups on defense. Those are tried and true issues that they have to address if they want to take the next step. But if they were to go to Fargo and win, it would be a hell of a lot of momentum. And then they'd get the winner of Sanford Sela, which, you know, what if Sela goes to Sanford, whose quarterback is out and is, is uh, you know, probably one notch down from a, a quote unquote blue blood. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of what ifs here. But on the other hand, if Montana goes and just gets pounded in Fargo, it might, maybe it's an eye opener. Regardless, I think that Montana has to take a look in the mirror at the end of the season. But I do think that there's both sides of the coin. I think this could be, I think it could be a detrimental to Montana if they won because it would blind them from their weaknesses. But also, it, the only way they're going to win is by opening their eyes to their weaknesses. And on the other hand, if they get pounded, I think it's going to make them have to open their eyes to their weaknesses. Yeah, it's all true, but it's the great thing about a true playoff bracket, right? All you have to do is survive in advance. And looking at this year, I mean, if you win that game, you're you're three games away. And it doesn't matter what we think their weaknesses are. If they win that game, I mean, they're they're there, right? Yeah, it's true. And then it harkens back to the question of what is the expectation of Montana? And if, you know, if you're any other FCS program in the country and you've made the Elite Eight four or three years in a row, then uh, you're happy. If you're Montana, especially with the amount of expectation you had coming in this year, I think you're still uh, a step away. So uh, we shall see. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Uh, great episode. I didn't uh, I didn't think we are going to go that long, but we did. And uh, here we are. So, um Thanks to all geeked up off the crazy basketball games. Like I was just full of energy from watching Portland State win by eighty five, plus those great finishes in the Montana State games. Like I was ready to roll. We were ready to roll for sure. And uh, you know, it always is compelling talking about how do you fix the stuff that's broken. That's always good uh, analysis for sure. So uh for Andrew Houghton, Coulter Nuanas, SkylineSportsMT.com. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much to our great sponsors uh, for helping present this here podcast. Up next, Nick Tabor, Westpac Wealth. A little talk about the Grizzlies. A little talk about your financial tip of the moment. That's next. Big Sky Breakdown rolls on. 
Whether you're in the restaurant business or you just want to host any big event, JMV Restaurant Supply can make sure you have everything you need. JMV Restaurant Supply is your home for everything kitchen. Whether you're a bear or a bobcat, an eagle or a Scotty, JMV Restaurant has everything you might need. They have locations in Bozeman, Billings, and Great Falls. If you can't make it in, JMV also has a great website, jvrestaurant.com. Get everything you need for your next event at JMV, your restaurant specialist. There's a lot of things that make Montana great, from the mountains and lakes to some of the finest towns in the West. But what really makes this place special is you. Our communities are full of people who are working hard to build good lives and remarkable things. At Opportunity Bank, our passion is helping folks do just that. Together, we can make a good thing even better. Opportunity Bank of Montana. Stop by and see us or visit us online. Member FDIC. Back down here at a spot we haven't been in a while, uh, down here at Westpac Wealth here in Missoula with our good friend Nick Tabor. Got some financial uh, musings coming up here uh, in a minute. But uh, what what have you thought, Tabes, of the last couple of weeks? Because uh, it, it's like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, right? The Grizz looked terrible in Bozeman. I mean, they just looked awful. And then they carried over to the first half against Southeast Missouri State. And then all of a sudden they, like, revived and they became like the Grizz of September somehow. And now they get a shot to to topple the Giants. So it's crazy how the season evolves. What did you think of uh, just the last couple of weeks? I, I thought it was a good effort by them to to figure out a way to reharness it and and come back last week at least. Because that would have been really disappointing if they would have lost last week. I mean, that would have been the ending to a incredibly disappointing season. I mean, no, nobody would have seen seven and five coming. So nobody. Um, yeah, I mean, just like I think probably all all of Missoula and half of Montana uh, two weeks ago was was wild i did not i didn't feel great about the game i mean i think the cats i mean that's a tough environment to go into they're rolling but we certainly matched up with their with with what they're good at on paper but they just i mean that was just brutal um i think that first because we haven't had the last few years we haven't had to play the first weekend of the playoffs so we've had a bye week and so this felt like the old days where you had to come right off the cat game and win or lose and play and I think that's a huge, huge letdown. I mean, whether whether you win or lose, winning is obviously probably a little, a little bit easier, but you're such, on such a high, and there's so much importance on that rivalry game, and then playing that immediate next week I think is tough. So, and, you know, some of the stuff that's kind of hampered them all year was hampering them in the first half. I mean, just the offense was what it was, and nothing was working. The mistakes, the ball didn't bounce their way. It was what it was, but man, I'm sure they turned it around because that second half was about as much fun as I've had in that stadium in a long time. I'm just so interested to see then if they can carry it because I think the story of this season uh, is sort of summed up by the fact that this team had incredibly high expectations. I think that's one thing that buoyed them, but then I also think that those expectations got in their way because I think that I think they overlooked Idaho and then that sort of started the ball rolling downhill and then all of a sudden they lost three in a row and then all of a sudden it's like panic mode our season's unraveling but then you go kill two bad teams so then you're riding high but did that actually get you ready for the rivalry and then you get hit in the face in Bozeman and and uh, just get out man across the board and so I, I think that what you saw Saturday was for the first time in a really long time for this Grizz team was the players took the thing over and part of I mean Give all the credit in the world for Bobby Howe for scheming up that kick return, scheming up that punt return. But also, it's like, you know, Patrick O'Connell couldn't walk when he was coming off the field on Saturday at halftime. Yeah. He's crying, you know, and, and you feel horrible for the guys. One of my one of my favorite Grizz I've covered. Yeah. And then he comes back out and he's like, 
Well, I'm not doing it. I mean, Bobby Houck told the story. I think he told the quarterback club. He also told, told on his coach's show last night. He said, Patrick grabbed me in the third quarter and said, Coach, I got to play. Like, I don't care. Like, I, I have to play. So Bobby checks with the trainer, and he's like, yeah, you know, his leg's not going to fall off. If he can go, he can go. So, boom, they put him back in, and then he plays with his hair on fire. So, um, you know, that's the thing I think that you have to have to actually make a run in the playoffs is the players got to do it. I agree. I think the adults have gotten in the way all year long. The players proved they could do it for the first time in months. They always could do it. They just actually did it. And so now I just wonder, can you carry that uh, on the way to Fargo? I think I think it's going to be so interesting. I totally agree. I think the season's been so interesting because they, they truly just – Laid an egg against Idaho, and there is no two ways about that. I mean, that was just a poor performance across the board. You know, coaching player, they all have acknowledged it. But then they had a tough, they had a tough, tough road. I mean, that Sac State game, that could have gone either way. Weber State, I don't know if that could have gone either way, but you know, they were in that game. It was a, it was a tight battle. Um, like you said, a couple good wins. Like it's you know, lower tier teams, and then the Cats roll them up. I still think they're. They're a good football team. So can they go on the road and get NDSU? Um, I think they still have a chance. There's no doubt, there's no doubt about that. And I think uh, I've seen some of the national stuff and some of the score predictions have been some heavy margins. But uh, I think if the I think if the Grizz stay in it, and if if they don't let the initial barrage of the loud dome of of the Bison running power, A-gap power 15 times in a row, if they can withstand that and be in the game in the second quarter and it's just they settle into it, they're going to be just fine. And they'll have a chance. And if they have a chance in the fourth quarter, it'll be any, anybody's game because the Bison won't be used to being down or in a dogfight in the fourth quarter. So that could be very interesting. Yeah, North Coast State, because there's sort of this narrative that they are down this year, and I think it's because they have been in some dogfights this year. But um, – also, it's because that league was so weird. I mean, I didn't think the Missouri Valley was nearly as good as it has been. South Coast State's very good, for sure. Uh, but Southern Illinois was disappointing this year. Missouri State was disappointing this year. Northern Iowa was disappointing this year. All those teams were supposed to be right. playoff teams, and then they weren't. So, uh, you know, how battle-tested is, is this NDSU team? I'm not sure. Uh, my, my last question for you on this upcoming matchup, though, is – and this is like the eternal radio podcast-type question – would winning in Fargo be the best or worst thing to ever happen to the Grizz, Bradley? I mean, for some of the stuff that we've talked about, I can certainly say worst thing. But from a from a just a purely like, I mean, huge win. <clears throat> I mean, that would be like a to knock the the Bison out in the first second round. I guess would be a just a, such a huge mon- monumental thing that has not happened for so long that uh, it would be a hu- it, it would have to be I would have to categorize it as the best thing that could ever happen to the Grizz right now. And then who knows? They'd have the winner at right. Sanford and I mean I don't, I don't I don't know. I think this team has got the talent to to do whatever they, you know, to go as far as they go this year. But uh <clears throat> no, I'd have to say it'd be, it it would be it would be awesome. I think it'd be the best thing possible for where this program's at right now for sure. What do you think? I mean, it, it, it's the interesting question, right? Because I do think that when you have defined weaknesses and issues within your program and your program is otherwise very strong, then I think you got to look at that. I think that the one thing that holds Grizz Athletics back more than anything is the inability to analyze themselves. And I think that that's like the thing that they need to d- that figure out. It's, it's, it's a very similar parallel with the Grizz basketball team. Like they've had the same problem right. for two and a half years now. Like they can't score the ball. You have to figure out a way to score the ball, <laughs> you know, like with the Grizz football team. They're, they're, they have such great 
I mean, they are better than everybody in the country at a, a variety of things. Like their continuity, how hard they practice, their discipline, their ability to, you know, run to the yeah. ball. Uh, their defensive development is crazy. I mean, they have like 10 linebackers that are ready to roll. Like their third straight, third string safeties would play at most FCS schools, yeah. you know. So they have so many things that are really good. Yeah. They got to figure out a way to get better on the offensive line. They got to figure out a way to have a developmental quarterback that they can actually be in the program for several years. So then I, I always wonder – are they strong enough to be able to make those changes without having a catastrophe happen first? So they avoided the catastrophe last week. I mean, the catastrophe was if they would have just rolled over and died in that twenty-four to three, right? Yeah. Uh, against Sebo. So obviously, I'd like to, I'd like to think that they don't have to make they don't have to make adjustments. I mean, this is like life, right? Like you don't want to have to have like, I mean, not that a seven and five record. For most places, is rock bottom. But let's just be honest. If they would have, if they would have ended that game thirty-one to three against Southeast Missouri, Missouri, that'd be pretty much rock bottom. Well, especially when you were the number two team in the country two months earlier. One hundred percent. And so, I would like to think that they can be introspective enough to make the adjustments and the changes in the off season. And I, I think that Bobby's got a history with that. This run at it, obviously, there's been a lot of similarity for the last five years. Um. But I'd like to think that we you wouldn't they wouldn't have to hit kind of like you know quote unquote rock bottom to make adjustments and to to make some of the changes that need, they need to make. But from a standpoint of in today's college football world with the transfer portal and the continuity of the kids and the excitement of the program, let's go to let's go to Fargo and get a win. Yeah, I mean that's the other thing is that you know you could say you need to have some sort of bad loss or or you need it to come crashing down for them to be able to look at it. But maybe that's not the case. Maybe they will look at things in the offseason. But also, though, if you go into Fargo and beat North Dakota State, then all of a sudden you're on the national championship track again, and then maybe you just make a run to the Final Four. And then if this team and makes maybe, it. And quite honestly, maybe it's not quite as broke as we think, too. No, totally. And, and the no, thing is, if you go if you go to NDSU and win. Not, I should clarify, not that I think it's totally broke. I no, don't think totally. that's the case. But maybe it's maybe just the ebbs and flows of the season this year have somewhat been an anomaly. I mean, they certainly had brutal – brutal days on Saturdays yeah. on a, cu- a couple of occurrences. And they've also had some brutal circumstances, but that happens to every football team. But um, So I, I, I also think, you know, <clears throat> me personally, like I, I'm such a fan, I'm so into it, I love it. I love all the kids. I, the coaches that I know I appreciate and like a lot. Um, but sometimes I wonder if, if, if there's too much over-analysis or, over, you know, over-critical of where they, they're at. But um, we'll see. Well, that's part of it. I mean, the, the – one of, if not, I mean, I'd say that the two biggest hurdles that the University of Montana football team has to uh, overcome every year are uh, their internal and their external expectations, and then the noise that comes with that, right? I mean, the Grizz, the Grizz played against themselves yeah. for the first ten weeks of the season, and then when you're playing against yourself and you're losing to yourself for a whole month, then all of a sudden, then that really detrimentally affects you psychologically. But I think that they do deserve credit for. Getting it back on track, I thought the players took control of it in the second half of that game. I think that's the thing you got to do to make a run. But let's say they go win at NDSU, then all of a sudden, you know, I mean, I don't. Sanford is, you know, SoCon is a very a middle of the road uh, FCS league. Sam, I mean, Sanford's okay, you know, Sanford's okay, but their starting quarterback is out. That's what I just heard. I mean, Sela uh, looked good against Idaho, but maybe they go in there and, and upset Sanford. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of what ifs. But regardless, to answer the question, like. If the Grizz go get rolled up in Fargo, I think that they, they're going to have to look in the mirror. Yeah. 
But even if they don't go get rolled up in Fargo, they're still going to have to look in the mirror. But if they go win in Fargo, they don't have to look in the mirror for a little while because then all of a sudden you got yourself a little inside track. And, uh, you know, I think that – well, let's put it like let's put it like this. I mean, North Dakota State is 31-1 at home in the playoffs over the last 11 years. So you go in there, it's a landmark. I mean, it's a historical moment in the FCS. So uh, we'll see. I'm interested to see how they match up against them too. I can't wait. No, let's go. We got to go get him. It'd be funner and shit to go see him. You know, I just want to go see him compete and have a chance in the fourth quarter, and then the chips will fall where they fall. But uh, it's going to be a blast to see him go in there. Part of the glory of building a business comes from leaving a legacy to ensure your business continues thriving into the future. Have you asked yourself lately, what is your plan? Forming a personalized business succession plan is essential to know the passion you put into your business will carry on. Nick Tabor at Westpac Wealth is here to help you navigate all your business succession and retirement planning needs. Give Nick a call at 728-6699 and keep the spirit of possibility vibrant while making your future more tax efficient with a personalized business succession and retirement plan for you. Also have to thank all of our Fit During Football sponsors as well. I've been trying to really keep the fitness honed in, keep the mind fresh. I made a lot of health changes in my life, gave up the, the drinking, gave up the boozing, and uh, been trying to eat as healthy as possible. And so been staying on track with the help from the guys over at uh, Nutrition on Reserve here in Missoula as I sit here in the Garden City. The uh, High protein intake. It helps you a lot. It helps curb the appetite. It also helps with muscle recovery. It helps you feel fresh. My mind feels great. And uh, it helps you work out a lot harder as well. So that's been a, a welcome addition for me. And also been hitting hard at both the Hype House, uh, which is a cycling and strength studio. Awesome place. Very welcoming environment. Totally outside my comfort zone, but they have awesome spin classes, but also awesome strength classes too. So you can get your lifting in over there as well and uh, get some high resistance type training. That's uh, really good for building that lean muscle mass. And also got to say thanks to Hot House Yoga. They've been great as well, uh, helping me relax, wind down, you know, it, it, but it does, it kind of juices you up a little bit too, you know, cause you, you get to sit there and be with your thoughts and stretch it out. And it's very challenging physically too. A lot of body weight strength being built as well, but you kind of just get to be, you just get to be, and you get to let, let go of things and, and really explore your own mind. And uh, it helps you return to center. And then if you're doing it early in the day or in the middle of the day, boom, you hit it and charge hard towards the rest of the day so yeah thanks all those great sponsors for uh helping me out if you want to learn more visit all their websites nutrition on reserve hype house and the hot house yoga studio but check out all those fine sponsors if you're trying to get fit i promise you you won't regret the decision nick Tabor, westpac wealth uh, here on the big sky breakdown uh what's cooking in the finance world these days it's a very it's again still a very interesting time um we always have, you know, interest rates drive a lot of, and, and obviously the the Fed and what they're doing with inflation is very interesting, and it's been an interesting year, there's no doubt, but um, I think we heard some good news from the, well, certainly we've seen some good news in the inflation front, and we, we heard some good news from the Fed's position on rising interest rates to combat that, so it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few months as the interest rates level off there's some opportunity to or opportunity to be had during this however long of a period of high interest rates we have so i would encourage anybody you know in terms of the fixed side of like just taking advantage of savings and putting it somewhere where you can just get a safe secure rate of return 
we might have ourselves a very interesting opportunity right now in terms of, of where they go in the future. Meaning, if interest rates go a little too high and then the economy is a little bit rocky, rockier than some people think in 2023, which there certainly are a lot of headwinds for the economy in general in 2023, then it would not be surprising to me to see them actually reduce, start to reduce interest rates again. Which for some reason, that for some things, that's really good. For wanting to borrow money, <clears throat> to grow, for mortgages, for business loans, car loans, all of that stuff, obviously lower interest rates, better. But on the savings and investment side, higher interest rates are better. Yeah. So we might have, I think it might be kind of an interesting opportunity right now. So contact your trusted advisor. If you have any questions at all, give us, give me a call. And I uh, would love to chat and answer any questions. Nick Tabor, Westpac Wealth, presenting here the Big Sky Breakdown on financial uh, conversations throughout uh, basketball season, which is just uh, in the midst already, but right around the corner. Uh, thanks for being here, buddy. Thanks, bud. It's always a pleasure. Blackfoot Communications just launched new business services delivering big value to smaller firms. With reliable voice, fast internet, business-grade Wi-Fi, and around-the-clock support, Blackfoot ensures you remain connected to your customers, employees, and communities throughout the day, every day. For more information, go to blackfootsmallbusiness.com. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. Join Town Pump's Pump It Up Rewards Plus program and never pay full price for fuel again. Save five cents on every gallon every day at any Town Pump across Montana. Plus, earn and redeem points on your favorite in-store items to get free stuff with our clubs. Stop in and pick up a rewards card. Download the Pump It Up Rewards Plus app today. Or visit townpump.com rewards to register and start saving. Town.